came across a letter some time ago. <clears throat> a young lady wrote home to her mom from college. And she said, Dear Mom, Sorry I haven't written sooner. My arm really has broken. I broke it in my left leg when I jumped from the second floor of my dormitory when we had a fire. We were lucky. A young service station attendant saw the fire and he called the fire department. They were there in minutes. I was in the hospital for days. Paul, the service station attendant, came to see me every day. I moved in with him. He's been so nice. I must admit that I'm pregnant. Paul and I plan to get married just as soon soon as he can get a divorce. I hope things are fine at home. I'm doing fine and will write more when I get the chance. Love of your daughter Susie. P.S. None of the above is true. But I did get a C in sociology and I flunked chemistry. I just wanted you to receive the news in its proper perspective. You see, a C in sociology and an F in chemistry isn't so bad in light of the other news that the mom thought she was receiving. We've got to have a proper perspective, right? A proper perspective. It's Thanksgiving Sunday. You know, one of the issues that people struggle with sometimes in life is, is knowing, especially young people, but it's not just young people. I find older people struggling with it as well, wondering, you know, what, what's God's will for my life? What, you know, maybe I missed God's will. I really don't think God's will is quite as mysterious as people make it out to be. Um, in fact, I, I don't believe necessarily sometimes people think God has this one specific, you know, plan for my life, this one particular, you know, and they get off on all kinds of fear of missing God's will. I can tell you what God's will is, at least in part, I'm going to tell you this morning. Because Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So what's God's will for your life? That you be a thankful person. I've told you many times that Romans 1 can sometimes kind of haunt me a little bit because Romans 1 talks about the downfall of man and how mankind gets away from God. And it starts with the fact that everything that we can be known about God, not everything, but it's scripture talks about how we can clearly see that there's a creator and so forth, but man in their so-called wisdom seek to deny the existence of God. And then Paul says, 
and neither were they thankful. And then begins the depravity, the downfall away from God. And I don't want to fail to be thankful for all that God has done for me. I want to be a grateful person. Not just when things are going good. Give thanks in everything. So I want to ask you a question. How do, you, do we give thanks in everything? I mean, it's one thing when to give thanks for the gifts that God has given us. But what about if those gifts are taken away? Are we still thankful? Are we thankful for God himself? Not just for the gifts that he gives us, but for God himself. Talking about Romans chapter 1, one of the early church uh, fathers, one of the early church leaders, was a man named Origen. He lived from the year 184 to 253. And he said this, he said, those who seem to exalt themselves as living in the light of wisdom, were cast down into the deepest darkness of stupidity. Talking about how people get away from God. And again, it starts with denying what's clearly evident about God and failing to be thankful. Now, you and I, I, I hope you're a Christian this morning, because primarily I'm, I'm going to be talking to Christians today. But you and I have a responsibility to be a grateful people. But one of the things that happens in our lives is the enemy knows that if he, if he can get us discouraged and get us despondent, we will begin to doubt God. And he knows if he can begin to get us discouraged by the circumstances of life, that we get our eyes off of God, we begin to fail to be grateful people. And pretty soon, we can be far from where we should be spiritually. Now this morning I want to look at Psalm 138. Like many of the Psalms, it's written by David and was written during a a time of trouble in his life. And David writes in Psalm 138, he says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called you, answered me. My strength of my soul the strength of my strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. Aren't you grateful for that this morning? But the haughty he knows from afar, though I walk in the midst of trouble, You preserve my life. 
You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Now I want to look at this psalm a little bit backwards this morning, because I want to start at the end, and we're going to go back to the beginning. But look again at verse 7. And I just want you to see here the reality of trouble in the believer's life. David says, though I walk in the midst of trouble. You ever feel like you're just walking through life and everywhere, your right hand, your left hand, everywhere is just trouble. Things at times just seem to be falling apart all around you. No sooner do you get, you know, things start to maybe look up a little bit and bam, and just you're walking in trouble. David knew what it was to live in trouble. He was anointed king three different times. After his first anointing, King Saul chased him for a period of 15 years. After finally becoming king, David, you remember, messed up his life by sinning with Bathsheba, and he ran from God. After that crisis, later on when he was an old man, you remember his son Absalom, which all of this was a, as a result of his sin with Bathsheba, but Absalom crowns himself king, and David has to run from Jerusalem because his son was trying to take over the throne. And most scholars think that Psalm 138 was written at this period in David's life as he's running from Solomon. And David here says, though I walk in the midst of trouble. I mean, really, you can look at David's life, and in a lot of ways, his whole life is filled with trouble. Yes, there's the glorious moments when he slays the giant. And that's, that's, that's the, uh, the one that, of course, the great story we tell to the children and and we sing about in songs, but a lot of David's life is filled with trouble. He's running. He's running away from people. Eugene Peterson wrote, he said, The Christian life is not a quiet escape to a garden where we can walk and talk un uninterruptedly with our Lord. It's not a fantasy trip to a heavenly city where we can compare our blue ribbons and our gold medals with others who've made it to the winner's circle. The Christian life is going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on. We breathe the same air. We drink the same water. We shop in the same stores. We read the same newspapers, or at least we used to. Our citizens under the same governments. We pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline which is pretty high these days. We fear the same dangers, are subject to the same pressures. We get the same distresses, we're buried in the same ground. The difference is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know that we are preserved by God. We know we are accompanied by God. We know we are ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil and He will keep our life. Aren't you thankful for that assurance this morning? 
Though we walk in the midst of trouble, there's some things we can count on, on as believers. And one of them is we experience as believers God's protecting hand. David said, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. I'm so thankful this morning that God has his hand on my life. He has his hand on your life if you're a Christian. And you have God's protective hand. It doesn't matter what the enemy may throw at you. God has promised that he would take care of you. At least Marvin believes it this morning. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians, he said, Finally, brothers... Pray for us that the word of God may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and he will guard you against the evil one. In Hebrews chapter 13, the author of Hebrews wrote, he said, keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have, for he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now I want you to notice a couple things that's called up in that scripture. There's the part there about God never leaving us or forsaking us. But there's also the part there about keep yourself from the love of money. You know, I, I'm pretty sure that it's true with you as well, probably, because it's been true with about everybody else I've ever met. But one of the chief ways that the enemy does his work to try to discourage and defeat us revolve around money. Can I get a witness? Amen. It's easy to praise God when your bank accounts are full, Although I've never been there before, but when you're, how much is full? I mean, that's a good question. But when we, we know, we don't really know what full is, but we certainly know what low is, right? And it's a lot more difficult to praise God when the bank account gets low. Because then you begin to doubt God's provision in your life. Jesus was once asked by a man... The man wanted Jesus to divide, to tell his brother, comes to Jesus and says, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. <laughs> Jesus responded in Luke 12 to him. He said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So here's the point this morning. God's promise to take care of us. That doesn't mean 
that you shouldn't have a savings account and prepare for the future. But it does mean that you and I better be on our guard lest we allow the desire for possessions to begin to so rule our life that when our possessions are taken away, we begin to doubt the love and care of God. <clears throat> That's good preaching. Let's go on to the next one. Not only do we experience God's protecting hand as believers, but we also experience God's perfecting hand. In verse 8, back here in Psalm 138, David says, The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. See, you and I are the work of God's hands. If you're a believer, He's busy molding you and shaping you and perfecting you. And He does good work. And one of the things that God uses, now notice I didn't say God creates, but God uses the difficulties of our lives to mold us into His image. You know, probably if we were honest and we really stopped and, and thought about a lot of the troubles of our lives that we go through, most generally, they're the result of our own decisions. Now, that's not always the case. But probably more than we like to admit, the troubles we have are the result of some of our own decisions. Maybe not the decision you made today, but maybe the decision you made 10 years ago or 20 years ago. But aren't you thankful that God can take sometimes bad and dumb decisions that we've made, and He can utilize that situation to shape us and mold us into His image. And God wants to teach us to trust Him more, but often what we do is we begin to wonder where God is at, rather than reminding ourselves that He promised us He will never leave us or forsake us. That's the ironclad guarantee. Now I want to make clear this morning, I mentioned possessions a moment ago. I want to make clear that the, neither the absence or the presence of possessions are necessarily a sign of God's approval or disapproval. Instead, in both times of prosperity and in times in which your bank account is empty, you and I need to praise the Lord no matter what it is. I think it's natural for us often to ask why, but we need to get into the practice, instead of asking why, we need to get into the practice of asking what. What, God, do you want me to learn right now? What do you want me to learn about you right now? What do you want me to learn about me right now? God, how can I right now in the circumstances that I'm in be shaped and molded into your image? See, we all face the reality of trouble. 
And God uses those times to perfect us. And he also protects us in those times. And I already started to talk a little bit about what our response to trouble should be. But now let's back up to the beginning of this psalm. David starts the psalm by saying, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. We come into the presence of God with thanksgiving in our hearts. I will enter His courts with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His courts with praise. But is that how we actually come? Most of the time? <laughs> A lot of times, right? When we come, when we come to God in prayer, <laughs> do, we, do, we, do we start our time in prayer with thanksgiving? Or do we immediately launch into God? I need you to do this. I need you to do that. Do we come to church when we gather together to worship the Lord? Do you enter with thanksgiving in your heart? Or do you enter frustrated at your spouse and upset at your kids and tired and don't really feel like listening to the preacher ran at me today? David responded to his times of trouble by praising God with all of his heart. I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. Now what does that mean? I think it means David didn't care what other people thought about him. Or what other people might do to him. David was willing to praise God with his whole heart even before the idols of this world. So let me ask you a question this morning. What idols do people in our nation worship? You can answer me. I'll let you answer me out loud. What's some idols that our, our nation worships? People in our country. All right. Money. Power. Sports. Health? Self. Self. Okay. Both those are true, I think. Some people worship the God of health. God of self. We sing, it's amazing what praising can do. Yeah, well, we used to. We sing that sometimes. It's been a while. I think we'd be absolutely amazed at what would happen is if you and I would begin to praise God with thanksgiving in our heart, no matter what the world around us may think. But I've met Christians who are too ashamed to even stop and thank God for their food when they're in a crowded restaurant. Are we willing to worship and praise God and be thankful? In Psalm 22, David wrote, You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. You're holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Now, that last phrase, enthroned on the praises of Israel. David, when he wrote Psalm 22, like Psalm 138, he's in the midst of time of despair when he felt abandoned. But he alludes to the nature of worship and what the heart of real worship is about. 
You see, the heart of real worship is not about what type of music you prefer. The heart of real worship is about the enthronement of God in your life. God, I want to crown you king of my life. And so God, as I praise you, as I live for you, I want you to be Lord of my life. And when we come together as a congregation, and we sing praises to God. It's not about what your preferences are or what my preferences are. It's about God. We want to proclaim you as King. And so David responded to his troubles by thanking and praising God with his whole heart. He also responded by thanking God for His love and for His faithfulness. In verse 2, he says, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. He's, he's testifying here that God is true to His covenant, His love, His chesed, Jordan, that's for you, and for His faithful character. He's praising God for His love and His faithfulness. How about you? Do you praise God for His love and for His faithfulness with your whole heart? David also gave thanks for God's name and His word. And as you see there on the screen, He'll always be faithful to His covenant and to His character. But David goes on in verse 2, he says, for you have exalted all things, above all things, your name and your words. So David is not only praising God for his love and his faithfulness, but he's praising God for his name and for his word. And David says something really incredible right here. He says, you've exalted above all things your name and your word. The name of God is the description that means everything about God that there is. His character is the standard for all His words, for what He says is in accordance with His essential nature. So what the Lord says, He's trustworthy because He's trustworthy. So when he says something, he's saying it in accord with his nature. And so when God says something, you can bank on it because he's faithful to himself. He's trustworthy. So, when God makes a promise, like I will never leave you or forsake you, you can take it to the bank. You know what that means. You can take it to the bank. You may not have any money in that bank, but you can take it to the bank that God said, I'll never 
leave you or forsake you. I'll never leave my children begging for bread. You can count on God's faithfulness because His faithfulness is in accord with His name. And His name is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. And David thanked God for His love and His thankfulness, His name and His word. And he also thanked God for His answer and His provision in verse 3. He says, On the day I called you, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. Do you remember back when we were studying the book of Daniel? Daniel prayed. And 21 days later, he got the answer. And the angel told him he was delayed responding. But God immediately sent him out. You realize you and I are in a war spiritually? And we have to trust God even when the answer doesn't immediately get to us. It may be that God's wanting us to grow. He's always wanting us to grow. It may also be, the answer may also be delayed because there's a war going on. But God is faithful. He always wins. So you could just take it to the bank and trust him. So I, I hate to use this analogy because people get carried away when it comes to finances and that kind of thing. But when it comes to spiritual life and all that. But God's written us a check. You can go ahead and cash it. You can go ahead and put it in the bank. Because God's faithful to keep his promises. Now again, I'm not just talking money. I'm not prosperity gospel. <laughs> God's faithful to keep all the promises that he's made to us. And chief among them is, I will never leave you or forsake you. And the enemy will tell you over and over again, God's forsaken you. But you know what? He never will. In Psalm 69, David said, I will praise the name of the Lord, or the name of God with a song. I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. You see, it's a mark of a believer that we, we long to magnify the God of our salvation. That should be our desire. We want to make God look great. That ought to be our desire. Now, you know, use a magnifying glass, right, Marvin, to make little things look big, right? God's not little. In fact, He's far greater than anything. So a, a magnifying glass can make something that may seem small or insignificant appear, appear as great as it really is. Actually, the reality, Marvin, when he looks at letters on a page, Marvin's eyes are bad. I'm not picking on him. He knows I love him because my dad's just like him. <laughs> to, to some people, 
Those words look as clear as day. But some need you have glasses you put on your face to make those words look clear. Every time I go to the doctor and they tell me I have pretty much perfect vision, I thank God because I've seen my dad struggle his whole life. My point is this. We want people to see Jesus as great. And how does the world see Jesus? Through us. And that part of the way they see Jesus through us is when we praise Him. As David said, I will praise the name of God with a song. I'll magnify Him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord. When the humble see it, they'll be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt His name together. Coming back to Psalm 138, all the kings of the earth, in verse 4 it says, shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly, but the haughty He knows from afar. You see, when we face times of trouble, they're humbling. But the good thing about being humbled, it's in those times when we choose to praise God anyways, that the world sees Jesus magnified through us. I'm closing with a story. It's June 1944. Private John Steele of the 82nd Airborne was among about 13,000 men who were parachuting into France. There was heavy winds though, and it kept blowing them into, uh, away from their designated landing zones. And as he was parachuting to the earth, Private still realized that he was being swept toward a, a small village. The village fires were burning, and it was just mayhem in the village. And there was a local German garrison that was there in the village. And they were just machine gunning those paratroopers as they were getting closer to the city. But the wind was blowing and then something that seemed terrible happened. Private Steele's parachute was caught in a church steeple. This is the actual church. Now that's not actually him hanging there. This is later reenacted but his parachute was caught on the steeple he had a knife and he took his knife and tried to cut himself loose desperate to get away from the machine gun fire but he dropped his knife and he just hung there and he quickly realized probably the best thing for me to do is to pretend to be dead and so for two hours he hung there, pretending to be dead. So, 
Finally, the chaos ceased. Later, the German soldiers realized that he was still alive. And they cut him down and took him captive. But he escaped, rejoined his division. He actually rejoined his division and went back into this village and captured 30 Germans and killed another 11. He was given the bronze star for valor and a purple heart because he was wounded in combat. But my point in telling you that story is what seemed so bad to him, being caught on that steeple as just perfect target for the machine gunners to kill, to shoot. But actually, because he was caught on that steeple, it actually saved his life. Because had he landed initially, he would have surely been shot and killed. In Genesis, Joseph, you remember he told his brothers, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. When we go through trials, we ask, you know, God, why, why is this happening to me? And the reality is all of us face those times. But how are we going to respond to those times of trouble? Are we going to respond by being a thankful people? That's what Thanksgiving is all about, to remind us to be thankful. But for the Christian, we don't need one holiday out of the year to remind us. We should be thankful all the time. Amen? Amen. But are we going to thank God for His love and His faithfulness, for His name and His word, for His answer and His provision? Or are we going to allow the troubles of our life to so cloud our vision of God that we grow despondent and if we're not careful, depart from God? I hope not. And that's why all throughout the New Testament, the call to perseverance. Persevere. You have to persevere. We're not home yet. You've got to persevere. Someday, we're going to cross the finish line. And I want to make it. Don't you? I can remember many times preaching here and talking about persevering. And I'd often point to Brother Bragg and say, Brother Bragg, you've not made it yet. Saw a picture this week of Brother Bragg with all the kids, as he always was. He loved the kids. Brother Bragg crossed the finish line. He made it. And I want to follow. I want to make it, don't you? So God, I pray that you would help us to be a thankful people. Help us, Lord, not to allow the enemy and the circumstances of our lives to cause us to begin to doubt your love, to doubt your word, to doubt your grace. But help us, Lord, to remember and give you praise even in the dark times, even when the bank account's empty, even when it seems like we're walking in the midst of trouble, on the right, on the left, 
Help us, Lord, especially in those times to give you praise. When we don't feel like it, help us to give you praise. Help us, Lord, to be a people of gratitude. And may our hearts rejoice in your goodness, not only on Thanksgiving, but on every day, to be a people of thanksgiving. I ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.